Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, everybody, and I hope you're ready for Easter to show up because your assignment is that you're to bring someone with you next week. And uh, because, you know, church, as we've known it, is really starting all over again after this. We're, we're just in the process, really, of on day, next week will be kind of day one of, of beginning all over again. People have been in the habit of staying at home and, uh, and to break and, and, and looking at... Uh, uh, at the church service through your toes, as Alice Kay likes to say, gets pretty comfortable. So, and drinking coffee and laying there in bed, you know. You know. But the book says, the Hebrew writer said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the, man, as the manner of some is. So, <clears throat> we're looking at Palm Sunday, and we've got some things here that I'll bet you anything unless you cheated and watched last night, you haven't the foggiest idea of why you were handed one of these. We'll discuss that in just a minute, pretty shortly, really. Before I start, there's a couple of things I need to mention. Um, <clears throat> we talked to Jay Sturgill, who has had, she's, she has COVID, and, uh, but she seems to be on the mend we talked to her uh, on the phone yesterday morning. I, the other per person that people that don't go to church here, but they're high profile, and a lot of people have asked about Mike Blockner. Um, Mike is in St. Mary's Hospital, and, and he is in an induced coma right now. And the reason he is is because he has a he had a blood clot in the brain. He didn't have a stroke. He didn't bleed. It, but that blood clot in the brain, and it appears that they have been able to dissolve it, and that uh, and right now he's breathing on his own without the benefit of the ventilator. So it appears that he's making some real progress. Now we'll know if and when there's any damage done when he is awakened and they do a, a further testing. But continue to pray for the family and because we, we stay in touch with them every day. And then for those of you who have asked about my condition, uh, I'll give you as quick a rundown as I can. Back in December, I had a gallbladder taken out, and that's really nothing. It took 20 minutes, and they sucked that thing out of there, and, and uh, I went home same day. But what had happened that is nobody's fault is that the ductwork that goes to the gallbladder was not, clean, was not clear, and there was a large stone that had it stopped up and a couple of small ones on top of that that couldn't pass and then what they call sludge on top of it that uh, <clears throat> got infected and the, the result was that liver enzymes were elevated and that's no that's uh, not a good thing but the bad thing was that it the infection got in the bloodstream 
and that can be a problem. And uh, so they told me that, and, and then last Sunday I was preaching, uh, Dr. Roberts came over and sat down with me, and he said, here's the deal. You either go to the emergency room now, or I'm going to take you. And he's six foot seven. And so we go out, I go out to the car, and and his wife had been called to the hospital, and, uh, and so she saw me get in the car, and she came over and said, if your family was not going to take you, I'm going to. So we had a good-looking woman and a big overgrown husband threatening me, so I went to the hospital. Yeah. They sucked that all out of there, and uh, honestly, I feel better. I'm still a little wobbly with my legs, but I feel better than I felt in months. And so um, I appreciate the, your thoughtfulness and your prayers, but uh, uh, when the children had different people had called i heard matthew say to people and and he will pay for this in heaven he's evident when they asked how i was doing he said evidently he's better he's a smart aleck again <laughs> children should not talk that way about their parents and expect to stay in the will that's what that's enough said <clears throat> now let's pay attention to the text of the that because the text that was assigned is the ninth chapter of John. You need to find it in your Bible or in, uh, on, your, on your iPad or whatever you're, you're going by. And we, we, we'll start at verse 12. But actually, we need to back up above that a little bit and start at verse 9. And, um, because verse 9 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well as Jesus. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. Now, where did this large crowd come from? Go back to the 11th chapter verse 55, and it says, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went out from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. So <laughs> people from all over the Mediterranean world and out in the country of Israel had come to Jerusalem because there was a purification that they had to go through before they could participate in the Passover. And the city was packed with people. They had done some research. And, and <coughs> excuse me, I thought I was over that foolishness. And they found in a survey that had been taken, and whether it's accurate or not is open for discussion. It takes 10 people for each lamb that is slain. For the Passover meal. Takes ten people. That's the minimum. Same number of people, same number of families you have to have in order to start uh, a local congregation. So they in this one weekend of Passover, or the one week of Passover, the best count that they have was they slaughtered two hundred and fifty thousand. 
sheep, lambs. Multiply that by 10, and you've got over 2.5 million people in the city of Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas. Now, that, that is a that is an unbelievable amount of people in that fairly small city at that time. And if you, you would see it dramatically, it kind of looks like this. disciples to be quiet. I tell you, if they were to be quiet, the stones themselves would begin shouting. Now, if you were to go to Jerusalem today, <clears throat> that scene could not have happened. Because on the mount, uh, when you come out of the whole old city and down across the Kidron Valley, just on that hillside across from it, there's a gigantic Jewish graveyard that has been added since that time. And there are half a dozen different denominations have built church, little church buildings all over everything. <clears throat> they couldn't have made that trip with all those people today. But none of those things were there then, and so they had an open route all the way down to the temple area. So it was possible then. Today it, it would not be. Now, because, <clears throat> now let's look at the 12th verse and go from there and see if we can clear up some things that isn't immediately obvious. The next day, the great crowd. Now, who, let's stop there. Who is this great crowd? Well, actually, we've got three or four different people, different groups. Just a few, just, a, just right before that, we already take, can tell from the passage that we read, Jesus had been at Bethany and had raised Lazarus from the dead. And scores, maybe hundreds of people were there. And then they followed Jesus from Bethany, which is just kind of over the hill from the Mount of Olives, followed Jesus to where he is now. They were not only because of Jesus, but because of Lazarus. So you have that group of people. Now you have the bad guys. If Jesus had raised Lazarus from the grave and there he was for them to see, the Sadducees were really bent out of shape because the primary doctrine of the, of the Sadducees was they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so we've got a guy that was dead and has been resurrected and so they're saying, hey, and that was the ugly pictures of the guys with all the garb on. They were represented, the, the Sadducees. And the old saying among theologians and preachers is, 
since they don't believe in the resurrection, they are sad, you see. That's kind of clever. Just hang in there. It makes sense. <clears throat> so so this, that, that was part of the... Then you have all of these people who have come into town and have heard about... Uh, this guy raising people from the dead and that he's gathering it as such. So they all go there. Then you have another group that has actually followed him from Galilee. And they're there. I mean, this is a, this is a throng of people. Thousands of people. To the extent that when you get down to the end of the text that we'll read, you'll see that the Pharisees and the Sadducees who wanted to arrest him finally said, hey, this has gotten out of hand. Everybody's going toward him. Now then, so the next day, this great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took, all right, now it's, it's that time. Get them out. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Now, the reason this becomes an issue isn't immediately obvious in your scripture. It has a history. Israel has long since, has always longed for their independence, but they were under the Greeks for a while. They were under the, the people who succeeded Alexander the Great. They were under them for a while. They, then they actually had a couple of revolts under the Maccabees. Now, in, the, in your Bible, you do not have usually the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha are several kind of flawed history books between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. There's a 400-year period there. And this Apocrypha, and, and by the way, uh, the Catholics, uh, the Catholic Church and, uh, and the Orthodox Church, others include the Apocrypha. And two of the books there that are especially well-known are the book of Maccabees. There was Judas Maccabees and Simon, both of which led a revolt for freedom. One of them ended up with the dedication of the temple, rededication of the temple, and the other one, they actually were successful in throwing and getting their freedom for a short period of time under Simon. You, I, can, I have uh, some cheat cards here that tell you where in the book of Maccabees. Because I, I have several copies of the... Uh, of Catholic Bibles in my office. And whenever I sit down and talk with a family who have a Catholic background, I use that Bible. Because it's just exactly like ours, except that it includes the uh, book, uh, the, the Apocrypha. And I use it for other reasons, too. Most of the Catholics have never been immersed. I believe in immersion. And in the footnote of the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, there's a footnote there that is approved by the Holy See, which is the papacy. And the footnote says, and I quote from memory, this doubtless refers to the ancient mode of baptism by immersion. And then I ask him, and then I ask him, and I tell him, you've been gypped if you ain't been dipped, you know. And we go from there. And uh, we were talking about 
the Glockners, I've already baptized a couple of them in the Jordan River. Didn't hold them down long enough, but it, 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 we did get them under the water. Yeah. But back to the, the revolt under the Maccabees. What they used instead of flags, because they did not have flags, what they used as a substitute for flags was the palm, land, the palm branch. This was everything to them that the star on, of David on the flag of Israel today would have meant today. But they use this. In fact, the palm branch was a, a political statement that Israel, under God, deserved to be free. And so they, the, these were a statement that they had when Jesus was there saying, he is the king, and they were all wrapped up in politics, and this created a problem for them. They, this, this thing here was they were indicating he, if he were capable of raising a man from the dead as he had with Lazarus, certainly has the power to overthrow Rome and give us the freedom that we want. And, that, and the whole mob got caught up in that enthusiasm. And it became really a, a, a political uh, and a, almost like a people demanding their freedom. And everybody got caught up in it. Now, you say, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Because, see, that, that would be just like your favorite politician coming to town. And what do we do today? We wave flags and we carry on. It's exactly the same thing, only they used palm leaves because they were available. Anybody could have one. There are palm trees everywhere. They don't have any date palms on them hardly ever in Jerusalem, but if you go down to Jericho, they really do have a lot of them. So what they were doing is they got all excited about the possibility of this man Jesus becoming the new king. Now where that came from, that comes from the Old Testament. They were actually quoting the scripture here when they said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is from the ninth chapter of the book of Zechariah and the ninth verse. But what they did that was totally wrong, and, and preachers do that too, they were cherry-picking scripture. Now what I mean by that is they would take a passage of scripture out of context to make it to support what they had already made up their mind to believe. And they were, and that got exciting. And it was the ninth verse. And it says, and that's why, when, and, and we'll look at that because I think uh, when, you, when you go back here and look at it, you can see, you'll see what I'm saying. Here in verse 9 in, in Zechariah chapter 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, what were they shouting? Hosanna! The word Hosanna means save us now. But they were saying save us from the Romans, not save us from the pits of hell. That, because they had gotten caught up in the enthusiasm for political freedom. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king, that's why they were saying Jesus is that king, comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Jesus was riding on this don on a colt, a foal of the donkey. But what they did that was the mistake. And, and now I've seen it. I've actually gotten involved in, 
I, I've been to uh, with William and some others who uh, to Ohio State football games. Uh, we were at one where they were behind, uh, I think, two touchdowns. The place was so quiet, you could hear a pin drop of 100,000 people. But then in the second half, right after the half started, they scored a, Ohio State scored a touchdown. Now, I was only there at Ohio State doing missionary work. I don't, I don't like Ohio State anything, you know. But, but, but even though I'm a Kentucky fan and all that kind of, and don't even like Ohio State, I got caught up in that. In the, everybody, yeah, you know. And then somebody took, and now they had the second touchdown and they were tied. And the place was idiotic. They were crazy. People were standing up. You couldn't see half the time if anybody's tall in front of you. They, and, and guess what? I, I started clapping and gotten in, and I don't even like them. Because you can get caught up in the enthusiasm with people. That, that, and anybody can and, and then when Ohio State won, and they obviously did, everybody going out, Jack and he's happy, da 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 da. This same type of mob enthusiasm took over there when Jesus was there. But he, and, and, and he said, You know, I can't stop this. Even the rocks would cry out if I tried to. It's not going to work. You just, it's just going to have to run its course. In spite of the fact, that what he was thinking was totally different than what they were thinking. They were thinking political freedom from Rome. But remember, Jesus just had one sermon. Anybody remember what his one sermon is? Just one subject. The kingdom of God. That was his only subject. He wanted people to know something about the kingdom of God. And this group had assumed that the country of Israel equaled the kingdom of God. We have, sometimes we get the tendency to thinking, well, the kingdom of God equals the visible church. And both are equally wrong. And, when, and Jesus even addressed that subject himself. In the seventh chapter of the book of Matthew, uh, he, he talked about it. He said, you know, you guys, you're missing it here. You're not getting it. You're, you're allowing the things of this world to dictate everything for you. And you're ignoring the principles of the kingdom of God, and the two are in direct conflict. And so we have that struggle. The kingdom of God exists as opposed to the kingdoms of this world. Jesus said to those people who had assumed that the nation of Israel equaled the kingdom of God, here's what he said. Not, and this is verse 21, chapter 7 of the book of Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Prophets were big deals in Israel. And in your name didn't we cast out demons and perform many miracles? In other words, the religious practice that they were in the habit of doing, we have people carrying out those things. And yet Jesus is saying this, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 
Well, how could he say that? He said it because within the religious world, there are those who do the religious things in order to benefit themselves. And Jesus said, those who are going to do that must deny themselves. Take up my cross daily and follow me. And, and see, what, what happens here is that what Jesus was directing toward individuals, they, were direct, they co-opted and, and directed it toward a country. We've got to be careful with that too. Because folks, let me tell you something. Ever since the Bible was taken out of the public schools, the, ch- the influence of the kingdom of God in the church has steadily declined. And it's in, the, and it's in, the, in decline right now. It truly is. And part of it is because we have gotten so caught up in the things of this world. You know, and I mentioned this last night, so I have to mention it again. Wouldn't be fair if I didn't. We become, and and I understand that. I've, I've gotten that way and all the rest of us will too. But the Bible says we have to seek first the kingdom of God. That takes a conscious commitment on everybody's part. Because he says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the way you think, Paul said. We have to think. Now, I have friends of mine, when I take this position, he said, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't agree. And I'll pursue that further in just a minute. Let's go back to that book of Zechariah. What they did is they picked the ninth verse and they forgot the tenth verse. They just ignored it. Why? Because they didn't want to deal with it. Here's what it says. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. You see, Jesus rode on the back of a donkey because donkeys had the symbol of peace. Horses were a symbol of war. You go to the book of Revelation, what do you have? You have the horsemen of you know, the white ones, the dark ones, the red ones, so on. These are war horses. Jesus was saying to them, dramatically saying to them, by getting on that donkey, what you're looking at here is not a warrior and a king of, of Israel. He is the prince of peace, fulfilling what Isaiah wrote about the coming Messiah. He's the Prince of Peace. And, in, and it keeps on, if you keep on reading there, it says, and the battle blow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus, you see, was fulfilling the 10th verse. He's the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace. And if you look at the scripture, go through the scripture. And I could keep you here probably until four o'clock just lecturing on what the Bible says about Jesus bringing peace. But we get so caught up in this world of ours that we forget the principles of the kingdom of God. And these principles, we need to... Put above anything else. 
<coughs> you remember in the Sermon on the Mount uh, that's recorded in the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapter of Matthew in the, in the what we call the Beatitudes in verse 9, what did he say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's a pretty good appointment. That's a pretty good appointment. Jesus went ahead and, and, and explained that. He said in the 25th verse, agree with your adversary quickly. Because peace, dramatic acts of peace, are really, really impressive. I'll, I'll prove that to you in just a minute. Then he went on to say something that many people make fun of who are not Christians. In the 43rd verse of that fifth chapter, he said that we should love our enemies and pray for them. And, and actually, he was saying, look for the opportunity to do good to them. Why would he say that? Because that lowers the level of tension and, and brings peace. It allures the adversarial stuff. Jesus, you see, the people, the mob, were anti-Rome. And they had some pretty good reasons for that. And the fact that, you know, they love freedom too, like all of us do. But every time Jesus dealt with a Roman centurion, it was one of really treating them with respect and kindness, and offering them hope. You remember the, the centurion that came to Jesus and when he was in the Galilean area and said, Rabbi, my servant at home is dying. Will you please come? And Jesus said, I'm on my way. He said, no, no, no. You, you don't have to go. I'm a man of authority. I recognize authority. All you have to do is to say the word, and it'll be okay. And then you have the illustration, there are at least three or four different illustrations of where Jesus met Romans. And so he's saying, look, let's make peace with Rome rather than have the confrontation. He said, if a Roman soldier is coming and he says, carry this load a mile, carry it too. If he requests your coat, you know, give him your cloak also. <clears throat> what he was saying is, look, peacemakers, if we do it, is really dramatically effective in pointing people toward our God. And he said to the Jewish people, look, this is so important that you have harmony among you people. It's so important that if you go to the temple and offer a sacrifice and your brother has ought against you, lay down your offering and go be reconciled. And when you've done that, then come back and offer your, offer your sacrifice and it'll be approved. Now, I realize this isn't easy to do. I was down on the steps of the post office one day, this is years ago, talking to a friend of mine who happens to come from my same hometown, Germantown, Kentucky, one of the metropolitan areas of, of great influence. 
His daddy owned a bank there, and his name was Gene Fryman. Gene was a CPA and, and a, an attorney, one of the brightest men I ever knew. He was taking 28 and 30 hours in college and getting straight A's. And he was just one of those really bright people. And we were talking about philosophy and religion. And he was kind of a, he, he, he really liked Socrates and Plato and, and he knew them. And then he start, we started talking about Jesus. I said, yeah, but those guys are dead and he's not. Looks to me like there's a little more influence here. And he said, yeah, but some of the dumb things that he said. He said, you know, if somebody hits you upside the head, turn the other cheek. He said, that's just a real good way to get the, you know, what slapped out of you. And, and that's the attitude of people who don't understand the, the nature of the kingdom of God. There's a real problem there. And Jesus promoted the kingdom in every sermon he ever preached. That was his only topic, really. Why? Because we by nature, by the selfish nature that we have, oppose that. It is only when the Spirit of God actually has, when you walk in the Spirit, that word walk means under the control of. When you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, you seek peace and harmony. And that's what Jesus was trying to say as he dramatized it by getting on that little donkey and riding it. If you were to go, and the, and the Bible says that the enthusiasm here got so exciting that even the apostles got caught up in it. The people that Jesus had trained <coughs> for Three years, they got caught up in it too. And it, it says it just right out here in the 12th chapter. Here's what he said. At first, his disciples didn't understand all of this. They got caught up in it. And I'll bet you at one time or another, we all have. And so we aren't here to point fingers. We're here to say, we kind of missed the point. If the kingdom of God isn't the number one priority in our church and in our personal lives, we're in danger of going to hell. And, and, and as straightforward and as abrasive as that sounds, that's what Jesus was saying in that seventh chapter to the Jewish people in the seventh chapter of Matthew. Peter, finally, it finally came to him after Jesus was glorified. Now, we got to think about this for a minute, and i got to hurry because we've got a lot to cover here. When he starts talking about Jesus being glorified, he said, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and, and that they had done these things to him. It finally came to him at that time, the, at the glorification that he's talking to is probably the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It doesn't say that exactly, but we, I think that's a safe assumption. But the word for glorification here literally means anytime anybody exalts Jesus as the Christ. That's the reason he said, I, if I be lifted up, will what? Draw all men to me. 
That's the exaltation of Christ. And how do we exalt Jesus Christ? We do it through the preaching and the teaching of the Word. We do it through a lot of other things in life. When we give Jesus credit for what we're doing, because He gives us that insight. I'm one of the lucky people through the years. I've been healthy and all that kind of I've been one of the most fortunate people on the face of the earth. Well, I was only 10 years old, I was the beneficiary of some old guy who was fairly wealthy, who looked after me, because we were, if, I, if you knew how poor we were, you'd, th- you'd swear I was lying. But Mr. West took me to Cincinnati. He bought my first ball glove. He bought my first bicycle. He bought me three cows. He saw that I finished college without owing anything. And he bought me, provided the money to buy the car that Alice Kay fell in love with and ultimately married me. Now, I know I'm a beneficiary of something I didn't earn, I didn't deserve. It was just because some old guy who had the resources like to help people. I wasn't the only one. There were several young men that, were, that benefited from his generosity and his kind heart. He said, I never had children, but there's no excuse for not helping children. And I told you the story of how, that, how I first met him. I had an old red rooster, and I laid it on the scales at Brock Brothers Grain Company there in Maysville. And he, looked, and he said, is that your rooster? And I said, yes, sir, that's my rooster. I get the money for it. He said, well, you just get on the scales with him. So he paid for me and the rooster. (laughs) And and then he wrote a big, long letter to my parents giving all kinds of background information so they wouldn't think he was some kind of pervert. And that took place. I know what it means to be on the receiving end of a hand down and a lift up. Peter actually got to the place in his life, and he wrote this in, in, in 1 Peter 3.11. He said, we're to seek peace and pursue it. We're to seek. And, and he went on to say, it was for this reason that Jesus came, to bring peace where there is no peace. That goes all the way back to, to another Old Testament prophet. Seeking peace isn't easy. Being reconciled to those with whom we bump heads isn't easy. If you go, we're going to be uh, preaching from Ephesians here pretty soon. And in the second chapter of Ephesians, starting verse 14 through verse 18, he again says, it is for this reason that Jesus came into the world. And he's talking about the unity of the body of Christ. We haven't done very well, have we? We really haven't. And we're not pointing fingers. We're just stating facts. So this is the message that Jesus is trying to bring here. It upsets some people when we seek peace. But I'm telling you, when you do those things, it is truly impressive even to unbelievers. 
back several years ago in Pennsylvania. A deranged person walked into a small Amish schoolhouse and killed several girls, held the rest of them captive, and finally he took his own life. That's a horrible scene and was on all of the television programs, whatever. But that wasn't what was truly impressive. What was truly impressive was the elders of that local church, Amish church, went to the family of the person who shot the little girls and took his own life and offered them comfort. The father-in-law of the boy who did the killing was held by an Amish elder in his arms, comforted him for over an hour. And then when they had the, the service for the children, the Amish elders went to the family of the guy who pulled the trigger and invited them to the church service and sat with them and comforted them through it all and, and said, you know, there is, there, there is total forgiveness here. We not only forgive, we want you to know that we love you and we'll help you any way we can. You tell me that there's any, and that, so there was peace even where there was murder, and, and you tell me that that isn't one of the most impressive things that can happen on the face of the earth. If it isn't, your emotional things need to be reprogrammed. Truly. And, and I think there's ways that we can do it. I, I, Alice Kay and I, well, it was really my decision. She just supports me in it. Decided that if, if Mr. West had helped me, then we need to help others. She decided it should be babies in Uganda whose parents were either died of AIDS or had just abandoned them at the hospital because the mother's milk had run out and they didn't know what to do. And so the mama goes back to the bush we took the babies out to the baby rescue at Destiny. That's all fine, but and I went along with her. I had when, when she was first, and I had a little two-year-old sitting on my lap, and all of a sudden my right leg was warm. So they pee all over you, and you, and you don't really care. You know, it's all right. Get to take a shower. And I decided that. For the sake of the kingdom of God, we needed to take the gospel in a powerful way to Uganda, and we're helping to build a Bible college there that will soon open. And we pulled, I said, send us a couple of boys, and Uncle Alex, he'll be here when we ordained them, who ran the children's home where they grew up. He'll be here. And we decided that whatever it cost us, we would bring these, and I, and I know you all think I was crazy, but we really did try to adopt them because there is such a thing as adult adoption and that was stopped by the local judge. He made a mistake, but he's really a good guy because I'm convinced that if God through that old guy helped me, I have an obligation to reach down and help those and lift them up. And I'm here to tell you, these two young men will be powerful influences for Christ in that country. And they will start a church. And they'll be, 
and I wanted, I didn't get it done, but Eddie this week with a little girl he works with down at Kroger's, had her here Wednesday night, and I will show you the pictures of him baptizing her. These guys are soul winners. And so when I sent you birds that letter and said, God has blessed you with two checks that you didn't deserve from the government, you ought to at least be willing to share one of them to guarantee these two young boys a salary for three years. If we can get 52 people who will give that one fourteen, and we've already had several come in, by the way. People last night are on, the, I think they're, you, you have to prove to me you're more godly than they are. But, now look, if you really need the money, keep it. And if you're looking in your mind for a reason to keep it, keep it. Lord loves a cheerful giver. Only give it if you've prayed about it and realize you can do without it and they need it for the sake of the kingdom of God. It won't be long after they're back there and they had their first church building that they'll have a bigger church than we'll have. Because the local elders of that community have already said, we look forward to the, to the water and we've got the money. We've got $10,000 for the water well already in the bank. And if we can get 52 people to give that $1,400 each, Patrick and Eddie will have a salary of $1,000 a month for three years. And, and we'll, the money will be put in the bank here and we'll put it in their account once a month so they'll have a salary. You can't give it to them because if you gave it to Patrick and he got killed in a car wreck, the money would be gone. So you have to be good stewards of what we're given. And car wrecks over there are common. If you ever were there once, you know. There are lots of ways that, that, that people can be helped and we need to think about how, how are we going to do that? How are we going to use our resources? Our how are we going to do that to create peace here on earth? When everything around about us is hatred and animosity and, and vitriol. I would like to see all of our professional athletes agree because all of them make millions of dollars. They spend more a year than they spill more than we spend. If each one of them would go to an area and find a, a young guy that looks like he has potential and say, you know, you, and, and stay in touch with him. Now, guys like, uh, what's the big ball, basketball player from Cleveland? He's done some good things. He started a really good school and he supports it well. And that's really good. And there are others who do, do some good things. But it's not the same as a personal hand up. Because with, if you took the baseball players, the, the golfers, the whatever, and each one of them with their millions of dollars would make it, find a, a young man or a young woman and say, you know, you get your grade. <coughs> you hang in there. I'll help you get through college. We'll see that you graduate. And they could pick one a year. You could have four in college at a time. They wouldn't miss it, and they could write it all off. And the first thing you know, we've got young men and women coming up with college educations that could never have got, because the only people that have money in those ghetto areas are drug dealers. With a little bit of, of, of focusing in on what Jesus was asking us to do and some commitment on our part, we could sure make a big difference. And the beauty is, Christ would get credit for it. Christ would get credit for it. And that's really what we're looking for. Why has the church influence gone downhill in the last few years? 
It's because the church has become more concerned about the church, the organizations. No, then we have people. We need to love people as Christ has loved us. That's the first step you take in seeking first the kingdom of God. And when we become known as the most generous and loving people on the face of the earth, you don't have to worry about crowds. It'll all take care of itself. I hope you'll help us guarantee that Patrick and Eddie can eat some beans and rice when they go home probably in July. Well, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to quit. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.